new beginning. Welcome to the Grief James Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Beautiful day today. Joshua, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. It's always great to do these podcasts and, and do something that we love and we're passionate about. You know, it's I wish one day we could do this every day, but that's not the case. We do about once a week. So here's another one. And so I'm looking forward to talking to our next guest. Absolutely. This should be a fun one. And uh, actually, before we start, I just wanted to say um, if you do like the podcast and you enjoyed it, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, it'll help bump the podcast up uh, so we can get more listens and more people to uh, experience the podcast. So on today's podcast, we have with us Ophelia Rigo, and she is a grief educator, speaker, TV host, and creator of Conversations from the Heart. Conversations from the Heart is a bi-weekly TV show that airs on local Kojiko cable in Kingston, Ontario. The focus is on bringing inspirational guests to share their story of hope and resiliency for the purpose of inspiring the audience to feel if they can do it, so can I. Ophelia has transformed her own grief into gratitude and grace and has learned not to sweat the small stuff uh, so she can move through the big stuff. Ophelia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I love that introduction. Like, is that really me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you wish in like regular life people introduced you like that. Of course, walking into my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Ophelia, ready to make her meal. (laughs) She doesn't sweat the small stuff. (laughs) For a small fee, I will follow you around your life and do that. (laughs) For chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How did you know? I don't know. Intuitively. Yeah, I love it. That's funny. That's funny. So it seems like you you found your way through life and you're really here to inspire others and to help others find meaning and find joy in life. And so I'm just curious, was it did you have a loss, like a, a death in your fa- in, in your own life and that propelled you? Or were you always this kind of person that found ways to thrive in, in suffering? So I really, now that I look back, because my loss, my, the loss that I really um, speak about or really transformed my life was when my mother died 10 years ago. And I kind of look at my life pre my mother's death and post my mother's death. And before my mother died, I, I worked in social services, I was a helper, and I always like to help people. And I think that just comes from growing up with my mom and my grandmother and just being around the women they've always been in the helping field my mom was a um, a foster mom for almost 27 years she had over 150 kids in her house so she was always a giver very much part of her church after my mom died and just looking for support uh, around grief and not really finding it it transformed for it to being my purpose and where i am i really feel that the grief that I had and still have at times with my mom, it sort of became my gratitude, it became my purpose. And where I am 10 years from now, it's my gift. It's the gift that I share with the world. And I it's the gift that, you know, what really makes me excited is when I share my story and I give a little bit of insight, people like, oh, that's what you mean. Or it just helps them. And one of the things I love to say, is, grief is the price we pay for love. So we can learn to smile again. So yeah, it, it's a little bit of both, I think. Oh, that's interesting. And you're from? Are you from, or do you live in Kingston? 
Yes, so I was born in Trinidad. I came to Canada when I was six years old, and then most of my life I grew up. I grew up in Toronto. Never really wanted to move to Kingston. <laughs> and if you, if people don't know, it's sort of like you you grew up in New York City, and then you're moving to this small town. And my concept, if you know the the area in Kingston, my concept of um, Kingston, Ontario, when I lived in Toronto, was the only thing that there was. Queen's University and the Kingston Pen. <laughs> so that's all I knew, right? And I came here with my ex-husband, and it, it, I would say I was reluctant, kidnapped, but I came here and I fell in love with the city, and this is where my home is now. That's beautiful. So is this is this where you were when your mom died? Yes. So when my mom passed away, I was just moving into Kingston. And I even had a grief now looking back and teaching about grief. I, I come from grief and being not just the death of a loved one, but we go through grief every beginning and ending of anything that we, we love. And I um, had moved to Kingston with my ex-husband in 2006, and we got divorced in 2007. And in 2008, um, my life, you know, I had a year away, and my mom still supported me through that divorce and the changes that goes through if anybody's gone through a divorce. Um, it wasn't my choice and, you know, long, that's another story for another day. Um, and then in 2009, in January, my mom passed away. So it hits me so hard because as, you know, as your audience know, and anybody who's grieving lost someone, nobody prepares you for how much this person has been the fabric of your life, how much interaction they had, how much that they connected you with other people, and how, um, like with my mom, she was very much involved with the church. I grew up um, until my sister was adopted um, as an only child. So for the very first part of my life, my mom was a single mom because my birth father had passed away. So it was just the two of us for about 10 years, then my mom remarried. So for me, my mom, I realized my mom is my whole world. You know, she connected me to the church and, you know, the other aunties and the other women. And, and then when my mom died, everything kind of caved in because there was also a family grief. There was a big blow up in her family. And I lost a lot of extended family. So for me, it was not only the grief of losing my mom, but the grief of losing so many things that was cultural, that was just family. And I went into, I was an out to the world, I still stay the same, but I was, I built a wall. So for me, it was protection. Anything that had to do with family was a wall. And then I was in Kingston, so I could just use, I'm in Kingston, you're in Toronto, I can't see you. So it, it totally transformed me in so many ways that even today, 10 years later, I'm still learning and go, wow. So that was, it was um, indescribable. And I think even, and anybody who's lost somebody, they realize after the person that's not in their life, how much part of their life that that person was. Like, I still miss my mom. Like, when I watch um, the Weather Channel, my mom was a fan of the Weather Channel and CNN. <laughs> she was obsessed. And I miss her in those little moments today because she would call me. Like, she was the, the, the weather police, and she would call me from Toronto. And my first name is Vanessa. And, of course, that's another story. And she would say, Vanessa. It's going to rain today. Be careful. There's going to be a storm. And it's those little things that would annoy me back then, and now I miss it. 
Oh, that's so interesting. That's funny though, too. Like when you look back <laughs> and you're saying, oh, wow, like you, you miss those things that annoy you because it was part of who they were in your relationship together. Uh, yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot too. When people have dreams of sometimes those things that they used to know that of the person doing annoying things in their dreams. And then I'm like, well, is that something you miss? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting, right? Like, it's like we're dreaming about those things that used to annoy us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, go ahead, Tori. I was going to say, yeah. So, like, it, it seems like she was just like, it was a mothering person, like a, a mother, real mother to you. And she cared for you. And she loved trying to, like, give you tips or, like, make you or help you feel safe or stay safe. I think it's beautiful. I think that's why people watch the Weather Channel and tell people about it. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom, um, even to this day, you know, 10 years later, um, her friends, my mom was that big personality that was the core. She was the, um, I look back in my life and I was 40 when my mom died. And I look back, she was this naturally this place where a lot of people who were hurting would go to. So my mom always had, as I was growing up, she would always have the single woman who came to Canada and, you know, they would be maybe doing a, being a live-in nanny and she would be the one that always invited them on the holiday so they wouldn't be alone, right? You know, her home was open to, um, to individuals. Um, and the thing that got me through my grief was actually her, her legacy, I always say, is that she always would tell people and she would always tell me is don't let anything steal your joy. So that's what helped me get through my grief. Like as the worst days, that little thought at first, I didn't understand it, but over time, and as I educated myself and I became a grief coach and a grief counselor, and I started to learn about grief and process it, that little thing was what got me through. And it was sort of my beacon and my light throughout the dark time. Um, Cause I, I realized I can't let this grief, um, Feel the joy that I have. And for me, I realized that when I took a course, I remember when the teacher said, you know, when we lose someone, we focus on the day they died and not the years that they lived. And that's what, that slowly helped me. And, you know, for anybody out there who's grieving, it may not be um, helpful right now, but, um, in time, we heal differently, and in time, we can, you know, move through our grief. And a big part of that comforted me was my the, the, the dreams that I had of my mom when she first died. I can really feel that. It was a very interesting thing that you were talking about in terms of maybe not focusing completely on the person's death sometimes. And uh, I think we get caught up with that. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because uh, we're unsure about the end and uh it just you know becomes a question mark so we kind of just dwell on that but yeah you know looking you know hearing about your mom and and you know it seems like she was definitely a very compassionate you know a person who was had in had in her head to help other people a lot you know especially when it comes down to you know fostering i think you said 100 or so kids that's incredible that's that's taken you know, a lot of that's giving back to society and giving you back to those people who need the most. And those are things you can look at and we can look at and say, you know, take a look at her life and, and appreciate those things, learn from them, you know, because 
you know, their their book, their life becomes this book that you can go back and read and see each chapters and in their life and how they lived it, especially someone who lived it in, in a very uh, compassionate way, self-sacrifice type of way that you can really take and extract some really valuable lessons and some really good memories for you. Yes. And I think just to go back with your comment, I think people um, struggle with, you know, the grief and, and maybe this is why I love to educate people about grief. Um, there's a lot of myths that we believe when we're grieving, in my opinion, um, you know, because people tell us you'll get over it, you'll get through, it will get better. Um, all those things, it doesn't help when we're grieving. Um, you know, my mom was very much a religious person and very much into her church. Um, and I know that the words that people were saying to me was comforting. But when you're grieving, those words are uncomforting because in your mind, you're, you know, you're feeling, okay, you know, a year from now, I'm going to be back to where things are. And that's what I was expecting. I'm going to feel better. And then a year came and I wasn't feeling better. And I realized, and the only time I realized was three years into my grief, I took a training. And when the, the, the trainer said, and she was from the American Grief Academy, said Darcy Sims, I can never remember. There's about 20 of us, and we did this over about three or four days. And she says, and she was the one who gave me that quote, grief is the price you pay for love, and you will never get over, you would get through it. The whole class got really quiet because it was the first time that I've ever heard somebody say that because my head was wanting to get over, but my heart didn't want to get over it because getting over something to me means like, oh, I got over a cold. It means when you get over something, you don't want to remember it. And that's the struggle that I feel that people, they go through. And sometimes they never hear somebody say, you're not going to get over it. You're going to get through. And when we're grieving, that's actually comforting because we it's the memories that keeps my mom alive. That's uh, what I live yeah. for. <laughs> yeah. And there's probably an element of you you feel the pressure of society of, you know, we, we get the vibe that it, maybe it's not normal. And so you want you don't want to feel like that. You don't want to feel like an outsider or like, well, I'm grieving, I'm in pain. This is a process I have to somehow it's better to not be in this space sometimes. And, and I think I, personally, I think a lot of that is probably societal pressures to kind of, you know, get your stuff together. And a perfect example is, uh, you know, you get three to five days to grieve at a job. And so the onus is, you know, it's kind of put on you that, well, okay, you're better after that. So like, so yeah. a lot of, <laughs> lot of grievers probably feel pressure at work to be happy and normal, whereas they maybe want to be sad two weeks after their loved one died and they don't want to, you know, ruffle the feathers and shake the boat and whatever. But I definitely think that, like you said, you know, it's something that sometimes you go through and maybe don't get over necessarily, but it, it probably morphs and transforms and, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And it's exactly. And I think, um, and that's why, it, that's why my, you know, back to your original question about um, my mom's death has, one of the legacies and one of the ways that I keep her memory alive and I keep her close to my heart. You know, I always tell everybody, my mom loved me too much, loved her family too much. And she was so, such a, I wouldn't even, I always used to say, you're such a nosy mom, but I really used to tell her that. I say, you're such a nosy mom, right? There's this picture that, you know, that if anybody sees, I mean, it was, and I always think this is how my mom is in spirit. Um, 
there's this picture that I took of myself. I had a new phone and I got this outfit my mom had bought me and it was about, I was feeling really good after I was going through my divorce and I got a lot of things settled and I looked at myself, you know, when you have those days where you're just feeling fine and you just like, you, you had some bad days and I was feeling really good and I took my selfie and I think it was my, like my first selfie and I was so proud of it. And then my mom <laughs> photo, my mom photobombed me. <laughs> she's in the back of this picture and she's in just her little nightgown and I'm like and I look at the picture and I said what are you doing there I'm trying to take a picture of myself and I was annoyed of course and she goes I just wanted to see what you're doing I'm just standing here behind you watching (laughs) (laughs) so anytime I look at that picture my friends you know my friends who knew my mom and they say that's exactly how she is right now and that's what I feel I think that from my experience with my mom, and some people don't have it, I knew that she was going to die. Um, I had a dream that she was going to die, and I wasn't doesn't didn't take the pain away. But I, I had a dream of my mom, and it was kind of a um, it, my mom was very much a spiritual person, and we had that we used to have a lot of deep spiritual conversations. And um, this was like one of those dreams where you feel like you're not really sleeping but awake. So I almost feel like it was a vision. I saw my mom, and it, my mom died of um, bone cancer. And I had this dream of her, and she was like at a, literally at a crossroads. And I'm, it's almost like I'm watching a movie. And I'm sort of hearing, um, I would say I'm like an angel or a guide just um, talking to her and saying, and my mom's name was Ina, Ina, you have a choice. And there was these two roads presented to her. Um, there was a road on the right, and as I can see, I see myself, I see my sister, I see this baby. So it was almost like a future, and they were saying, this is your future. One road was to the right. My mom is there with my 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 dad and me and my sister and this baby, but she's in a wheelchair. And then on the left, it was a road where she was, all the people on that side had already passed away. And she's looking and she's in, you know, where she is sort of standing and she gets up and starts walking on the left. So she chose, I, this is my interpretation. I feel that my mom at that, in, that was sort of a premonition of my mom deciding that she was going to choose to be with her ancestors because it was my grandmother was there, my birth father was there. So using, you know, all these people had already passed away. And she got up and she and she chose that. And um and when she got there, she looked different. She wasn't the the gaunt, she had lost weight. She wasn't the, the person that I saw in the bed. When she got there, she looked younger. And when my mom then my mom passed away and then when we were in the hospital, I remember she was worried because at that point my sister was really twelve and she was restless. And I just looked at her and I said, don't worry, mom, I'll take care of dad. I'll take care of, um, you know, my sister. And I think within a, that's the next day she passed away. And within about, I think maybe within about the first 21 days, I had another dream that felt very much the same. And it felt so real to me that when I woke up, I was like reaching. And what it was is that I saw my mom and she was on um, in Trinidad and that's where my mom was born and it was my grandmother's house and in Trinidad they call it a gallery but it's it's like a lanai or a huge porch and you have to walk up to get it when you're coming from the street and I saw her 
And I said, Mom, and I'm like calling her. And she says, no, no, don't come up here. You can't come up here. And it's all the same people that I saw in the, the dream when she chose to go on the left. And she says, no, 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 you can't come up here. I just want to tell you I'm okay. And then I immediately got out of that dream and I called my aunt and I told her and I described her. My aunt paused and she says, you just described what your mother looked like when she was pregnant with you. And how would I know that? Wow. I told her, I told her exactly what she was wearing and she, you know, how her hair was combed. She had Princess Leia kind of buns at the, the side and, I, and she was wearing like a white shirt and these like a cut off pants. And the more I learned about dreams with other people, a lot of times you see people who pass away in dreams where they felt the most happiest. Mm. And obviously, so so that for me was very comforting because um, I had some guilt when my mom died. I wasn't physically with her when she passed away. I felt so guilty about that. And um, so those two dreams were a premonition and a comforting dream that helped me a lot. Wow. Thanks for sharing those. That's so interesting. I've heard premonition <laughs> dreams like, throughout my time doing this stuff and it's a thing and I love how you used it to help you because some people when they have that dream sometimes they feel like they're supposed to stop it or something but uh, I'm glad you're able to sit with that and, and realize that it was more to prepare you and to give you sort of that understanding of it was her choice in a way um, yeah it was and, and I think yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't have had that um and it didn't come right away. I was I was so angry at my mom. I, I don't want people to realize those dreams didn't come comforting till maybe within the third, fourth, fifth year. I was oh. still angry at my mom that she that she left, even though I had those dreams. Um, because oh yeah, it was, was, oh, it was yeah. shocking. Yeah, it was shocking. I had that dream before she died, right? Yeah. So when she right. when she did die. You know, in the first, I was, it was so much to do. I honestly, I feel that I really didn't start. The impact of my mom's death didn't hit me. Like the tears and the grief, yes. But it really didn't hit me because the first six months, I was just being brave and strong, getting my dad's flight in order. They were in Toronto. I needed to sell a house. I needed to go through seven years of her life. My sister was 12 years old. So I was focused on everybody else, right, except me. And then when I got in my quiet moments coming back into Kingston, that's when I would break down. But I was so angry at my mom for leaving, for leaving me with the responsibility of my dad, responsibility of my sister. There was some financial stuff that I had to deal with. So I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the swearing part of me would come out. And it took a long time for me where those dreams came really comforting. It's really started when I started to understand grief. And started to let go of what society tells you grief is and what grief is really. And, you know, um, and I, I, thought I was always believed in energy healing and I was a Reiki master and those things start to help and it just transformed. And I, what really helped me is just falling into the transformation without judgment. Wow. That's uh, it's a different perspective than I've, when you first told the story. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> so it, it it didn't actually come for you because you felt like you said like it was her choice and that angered you that she didn't choose to stay. Yeah, it did. Wow, and okay. because my mom had cancer twelve years prior, and she did in and um and that looking back even when she did discover twelve.
12 years prior. She was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through. And I, I argued with her. And I said, you know, I was like, you're not just going to die right now. You're going to suffer and da, 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 da. But she did it and I wanted her to fight. But I think where my mom was at that point was that um, she was ready because she, before she died and after I had the dream, um, she called her pastor and she, you know, she told him, I'm ready to go. I've, you know, she, you know, she says, you know, when your Jesus calls you home, it's time to go. And my family, you know, nobody wants that. But my, I really believe my mom was ready and was at peace with where she was going. And she didn't want to live a life because my mom was such full of life. She, for her living a life in a wheelchair and not being able to do this and not being able to shower and, you know, do all those things and being dependent on people, that to her wasn't the life. I wonder too, if she looked at, everyone's life and felt that they were capable of like taking care of themselves too because i yes. feel like, <laughs> right, like, i feel like if you guys were like four or five and that choice came up she may have chose another side right like to stay yeah like, as everyone's grown up it's almost like now you're really just looking at yourself in a way and like what do i want you know i've never thought of that but i I've grown up so much since my mom died because my mom was my prayer warrior. You know, I I was like, I would call like, now that I look back on it, I was an adult. I was 40 years old, but my mom was such a big part of my life. Like if something happened, I would call, Oh my God, look what somebody did to me. And she would always be on my side, no matter, you know, she, to the world, she was always on my side, but behind the scenes, she would say, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. But my mom was my cheerleader. And in the last 10 years, I've matured. And when you lose a mom that you have a good relationship with, she's a matriarch of the family. You use a father. They're the patriarch. When that generation goes, you become the first person. You're no longer a child. You're officially an adult. And that's what happened to me in the last 10 years. I had to step up my game. And now that you said that, I think my mom used, I was perfectly capable of being the matriarch of the family, taking, helping my dad and helping to raise my sister, who when my mom died, she was 12 years old. So, yeah, I like that thought. She knew I could do it. <laughs> yeah, often we get into situations where it's something that's new or we're changing. And, you know, that's usually the case where we feel uh, we don't feel ready. We don't feel like we can do it. And uh, what a perfect person uh, than your mother and, you know, your parents and the people around you who, who, who believe probably and know more than you that you could handle something or do something. Yes. And, yeah. I, I think that's awesome. And for me, like I call, you know, when I talk about grief to people, I say grief was my gift. Some people don't like that, right? Cause they're not a place. I said, grief in grieving intuitively for transformation. And I look at it that when we, grief is such a powerful emotion and it hits us on so many levels. And I've learned that you can feel two opposing emotion at the same time when you're grieving. I can feel anger for my mom leaving. I can feel happiness in the memories. And over the years, I have realized that this, I've used and utilized this grief and this pain to turn it into my purpose, to turn it into my grief, to my gratitude. Because if I didn't, it would paralyze me. It will stop me from living. And, and every day I choose to live and I didn't take my life, I'm making that choice to live. 
So now I have to make a choice to how do I want to live? Do I want to live in anger at my mom or do I want to focus on the lessons? And I chose to focus on the lessons that she she shared with me and I can share with people and to help people to get through their grief maybe a little bit faster or with a little bit more wisdom, with a little bit more comfort and a little bit more authenticity that they can have these safe spaces, you know, whether on my TV show or my upcoming um, radio show where they can really just say, this is how I'm feeling. And they're not judged and are expected to change. It's just a safe place to listen. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds uh, like, like the spot you want to be if you're, you know, you're suffering and you need some information. Um, I have a question because, so uh, I'm assuming through what you told us that your mom's Christian, Yes. Christian faith. Do you share the, the same faith? I say that hesitantly. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why. I If I had to check a box, I would check that I'm Christian. And I I say that I'm a Christ follower because I'm, I'm not a lover of uh, um, organized religion. Um, and I, um, in learning Reiki, and my mom was actually... A spiritual Baptist, and that's um, really known in the Caribbean. And a spiritual Baptist embraces all different aspects of, um, like Hinduism, Buddhism, um, in the religion because it's you know if you know the history of the Caribbean, especially Trinidad, um, people from India, people from China, and African slaves built up what Trinidad is. So those aspects are in part of the the religion, with the head being Christ. So that's the religion I kind of grew up in. But I realized it was preparing me to look at faith and, you know, belief systems and from more of a multicultural perspective rather than mine is better than yours kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. I'd love to look into that more. I was wondering because, you know, usually in the Christian faith, and you've probably heard of it, and I wonder if you've come across this, but a lot of times, you know, when someone dies, especially someone at an older age, we kind of say, you know, they, they're in a happier place. They're, they're meeting Jesus. They're going to heaven. Um, mm -hmm. Was there almost some mixed feelings around that thought of like almost being happy for your mother um, and being grateful that this is happening and positive. Whereas, and then you mix in the elements of, well, you're actually angry in a lot of situations. Was there some mixed feelings around that? And how did at you come to terms with it? At the beginning, it didn't help me at all because um, I would get the, you know, because my mom was very spiritual. I would get because and she died at 70. You know, I would get the things, you know, she got, you know, God promised her 70 years and that's what she got. You know, I would get those types of things. And she's in a better place. She's with Jesus. She's, and I know people wanted to be comforting, but it didn't comfort me. It didn't comfort me at, at all because I tell people, um, and I've talked to a lot of people who are Christian, and for some people it did, but it wasn't the 40-year-old girl that lost her mother. It was a six-year-old child mm -hmm. that we who came to Canada with my mom, and my mom was now a, a widow for a year, and it was just the two of us. That's the little girl that lost her mom, because I felt completely alone. I felt abandoned. Um, those feelings and those comfort of my mom being in a better place came a little bit after. Once I started to heal myself and once I worked through some anger and worked through some stuff with my family, um, because there was a whole other grief that was happening at the same time, the distance that became between us. So um, 
that really helped. I mean, I think over time, the foundation of me having someone who was so spiritual, that did help. Because in my worst times, I would meditate and pray. But at the point when my mom died, I had learned a lot about Reiki and I was doing meditation, getting into yoga. And my mom was slowly embracing those aspects because she was so curious. All right. I remember one of the last things, like, because when I learned Reiki and I was doing Reiki on her and she, and I had some crystals and I started to laugh. I said, wow, if your pastor could see you now. <laughs> and she laughed. She goes, she says, God, my mom's favorite saying is God is everywhere. God is in everything. So as much as maybe she didn't have the, the wording, my mom was a big believer that God is everywhere and we just celebrate God differently. But God is God. That was her her wording. So she says, this makes me feel good. This can't be anything but God. <laughs> that's yeah, that's all very interesting. I, that's that's very interesting to me. And um, this is just something that I have. Like, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I consider myself Christian. And I always had that idea of like, I wonder how people feel about that. Because it is, you know, you go to church and, and things like that are said. And um, whether you believe them or not, you know, the reality is when the grief hits, when that death comes, that's when you have to face that. And so I was curious as to like, well, I wonder how some people feel when the act- the death actually comes. And then I guess it would, it, it depends on the nature of the death and the grief, and you know. But I also think as a Christian and as a Christ follower and a big lover of Christ, you can have those feelings. I mean, if you're a Christian and you, you know, and you know, whether you know the Bible or you don't know the Bible, you know, Christ says, lay your burdens at his feet. And if you are a believer in his word, he knows very well that you're angry. <laughs> so, so that was, I never felt guilty for being angry um, because it's what I felt. I didn't share it with anybody because I, I didn't feel guilty. I felt ashamed mm. because people were telling me what people were telling me. So I was expecting, and this is a struggle I think a lot of people go through in their grieving when it's new. The world is saying, you're going to get over it. You know, like you yeah. said, you're going to get three to five days. You're going to get over it. You know, and then everybody's there for the first month and then people start to go away. And you're thinking, there's something wrong with me. I'm not getting over it. I'm still angry. So then you get isolated and we stay in our world and we pretend we're okay. And then we go to work and then we come home and we weep. We go to work, we come home, and we weep. And I think what I feel is that we as a society need to understand this is universal. Everyone grieves, even animals grieve. And and to look at grief in the reality of what it is and, and not what you, would, you think it is and what you want it to be. Because I think society is uncomfortable with people grieving because it brings up stuff for them, like it's like, oh my God, all this pain, I can't deal with it. So I'm going to tell you to get over it. Yeah, and I think really what you're saying is like, we got to be honest with ourselves on where we're at. And mm-hmm. when we try to be different uh, for other people or for ourselves, it, we get into trouble emotionally, spiritually, and just our world sort of crumbled. But when you can be honest, like we can actually say like, yes, I'm angry and that's okay. Like that's what, I think that's why a lot of people will go to you or go to other people who deal with grief, uh, grief counselors and stuff, because you're trying to normalize those feelings and you're, and to provide a safe space to just be able to share that because it's so difficult uh, when you're alone or, or in front of your other friends that just don't understand how to provide a safe space. So you've done a remarkable 
job so far just by like me listening to you on how well you're able to provide a, a safe space for people to share to acknowledge their emotions and to not judge them exactly and it's um and it's the one thing and i you know the legacy that because my i look back and i think my not i think my mom provided a safe space on many levels for kids to you know she provided a safe loving home and a safe place for them to be kids when their parental world was in chaos and my mom provided a safe place for single women to be their best selves so I always say she was my first coach my first mentor my first cheerleader so I look at it in a way of continuing her legacy uh, but just in a different way right and just using a, a different way and the other thing that I just realized in talking to you I watched my mom grieve when she lost her mom so I think that she was I never even thought of it until this moment. I saw how she processed her grief. She missed my mom, her grandma, my grandmother, her mother. She cried. But I saw her get back her joy. I saw her get back to um, herself. I don't know how she, you know, how, because I'm a child. So some things your parents don't say, but observing, I saw how my mom still had that joy. And I think that was something that was an example to me in going through my grief. Did she ever mention a grief dream <laughs> that you had of her mom? <laughs> my mom is really, um, yeah, my mom was very close with, she had something, I don't remember the details because my, I was like 15, 16 at that time. I really wasn't paying attention. But I remember <laughs> later on, my mom did, because my mom and her mother had a very close relationship. And my mom had a sense that my my birth father, I remember she, I knew one dream that she, I can remember. My mom was working in the States and um, she had a, you know, a job and she was working and I was in Trinidad with my birth father and my family. She was working in the States to make some money and she had just got there and maybe within like six, seven, eight months, she had this dream of my father. And it was that almost like she said, she felt like his, she dreamt like, so this would be my father's mother. She dreamt, like, um, sort of seeing um, her, like, my father's mother saying, I'm taking him now. It's time. I'm taking him. And she felt that she needed to go back. Um, and when she came back to Trinidad after she had this dream, my, my birth father died, like, within the first month. So, and my mom was always one who had dreams. Like, she was a child. She had premonition dreams of people passing away. And, you know, she would dream of something happening and it happened the next day, right? So my mom totally believed in her dream. She totally, and she passed that experience and that knowledge of how I grew up. Like she really believes like certain dreams, you just have to watch it and they're premonitions or, you know, it's God speaking to you in your dreams. So, yeah, so... I don't know well, if she had one of her mother, but she definitely had one with my father died. That's so interesting. Did you ever have a dream of your father? You know, no, I didn't have any. It's so funny. I've never had um, dreams with my father. Um, but what I remember when I came to Canada, because my father died when I was almost five years old, I felt him and I used to talk to him a lot, like I could, like, you know, as a little kid. And looking back, I, I think my mother realized that I was talking to him because I was five, six. 
and she squashed it. Maybe she felt uncomfortable. I know. So my father then became my imaginary friend, and I even changed his name. <laughs> <laughs> he was called Alex. <laughs> and um, and once again, you know, when the world tells you that that's weird, you kind of forget it. Mm. So just face. So I never, I, I, I would feel my father more because I was very close with him. And when you're five, um, I didn't really understand death. For me, like my mom told me this story when my father died. And in Trinidad, they have a wake where they bring the body into the house. Everybody was there and I was like walking around touching him. He was in the coffin and people were like freaking out because there's this little kid touching, you know, somebody who's dead. And I was like, dad, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And um, yeah, so I've never had a dream of him. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting that you haven't, right? But no. like, I love, I do love how you tricked your mom <laughs> into <laughs> continuing to talk to him just by changing a name. And I think it, it goes to sometimes you gotta you gotta fool the people around you to continue to do what you're doing because. And uh, I think it's because of the age, right? Um, at five years old, five, six years old, you, you tend not to, which is a good thing. I think kids, you know, you don't want children to have trauma. I didn't have any trauma in my life. So there was this innocenceness and you just believe what you see. And I think that's what happens. But as you get older and, you know, my sister who, when my mom died, was 12, she processed the grief with my mom totally different than I did. Well, I know even now. Even now, yeah. like I, I talk to my father, you know, um, and I think it's just a common thing. But like it's back then, it wasn't as common. Like now we're trying to be more accepting of continuing bond experiences, yes. right? But back then, everyone was, I guess, afraid of them or afraid that it would hinder you in some way. Yeah, and I think also too culture-wise, I think um, a lot of indigenous community, um, there's an honoring of ancestors, um, even in the Catholic community, but they they do it like on All Saints Day or All Souls Day. Um, so I think it's a culture that if you grow up in a culture where it's common that you remember your ancestors, even if it's on a certain day, or just generally in the culture, but if you don't, and we grow up, especially in North America, it's like, okay, they die, they're buried, you know, maybe on anniversary or something, but you really need to get on. I think that's, that's that hinders some of the growth. That's a great point. That's an excellent point. Because uh, I was just thinking about like all the media, like books or, or TV or movies, and a lot of any, uh, generally, they don't really delve into grief or death unless it's like a horror show. And then it goes into obviously the extreme and fantastical elements and, you know, not real sometimes. <laughs> but uh, in, in, you know, general movies and TV shows, they kind of steer steer away from the topics. Um, and then when they do have something, it's kind of, they make the person, the act, the main person seem crazy. Like they'll be like, oh, you know, here's, here's a, like, it'll be like a sitcom and then they'll have a Ouija board and they're like trying yeah. to contact someone. And it's like, why does it always have to dip into the strange cause it, or fringe? Cause that's not helping society normalize it. Cause you don't want to be what's, you know, the odd one, which is, which yeah. is, you know. I went to um, the Bereavement Association here in Kingston. They they put on a um, a big like a, a workshop, and I forgot his name, Dr. Nina Meyer, I think. But he talks a lot about connections with people, and um, he's a you know he's a PhD, and he studies people with grief and how 
there's a healing connection. This is very scientific, right? And how he presented it was just like the whole audience, everybody was grieving. And you know that something is really bad or really good when everybody's silent. <laughs> this was amazing how he was sharing stories of his patients and how people of different backgrounds, and not a lot of them you would say was spiritual, but they all talked about this connection that they felt with their loved one after they died and how all of them experienced it differently. And some of it was just like, what they knew wasn't coincidence, like, you know, the same song that their child played at the moment and all these different things. And I, what I feel is that if we allow people to, if you don't put the stigma on what somebody's telling you, that helps. And when people are grieving, I think what times some people do is look at it, as you just were saying, you know, they're grieving, they're thinking about their loved one, they must be mentally ill if they're still thinking about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's another common one. <laughs> um, but I think I must say that I think society's changing, you know, with there yeah. was a what's that animated movie on Day of the Dead? Oh, yeah. Yes. I saw Coco. that. I think Coco. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah, That's fantastic. And so is Kubo and the Two Strings. Shout out Megan Brain. But uh, that's another one where they talk about loss. They talk about grief. I think the, the the character was loosely based on her own mother who had Alzheimer's and then died. Well, even look at The Lion King that's out right now. Lion King, the revisiting that. That was actually, you got to give them credit back in the day for even putting a death because that was crazy. Like that, People were shocked and worried about kids witnessing that. Think you about know what that. it is? How it's far we've come. Music. <laughs> Get some music that helped us through. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so true. Yeah. But have to, even if you think back, what about Bambi? Yeah, I remember how many times? Time. Yeah, right. How many times the stories of people told? Well, that's when I got traumatized. Like, man, like it's just, we can't even show death. No. I think Walt Disney was just ahead of the curve. Yeah. He really wanted to put it in kids' movies because I think he probably saw that the culture wasn't talking about it. So the best way to do it is to put it in the movie to make conversation. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. I and I think as we go on and. Um, there's so many people like you are having venues and having spaces where we can have these honest conversations, like with anything that's so important, because if we don't, people stay isolated and a grief can become a mental illness. It can become severe depression. It can become chronic and it can become so isolating that people feel so heavy, but allowing people to talk honestly about what they're experiencing without judgment is so important and you do that through your tv show so how'd that get started and what have you learned from it all it got started i was invited last minute i have a friend who um, works in mental health and she was invited i think last christmas to be on a local tv show about talking grief in the holidays and she says, do you want to come on with me? <laughs> she was a little bit nervous. And I said, sure. So I went on. And as I was there, um, I, I was always thinking of, um, I've always been a public speaker. And <laughs> probably a quick side story. I, I was like eight years old. And I was talking, talking, talking to, you know, on the bus with my mom. And she was tired after a long day of work. And she said to me, aren't you tired talking? And I said, nope. And she started to laugh and she said, you better find a job when you get older that you can talk. <laughs> so that was always in this thing. I always liked media in some form. So um, when I was there as a guest on the local TV show, I was like, I wonder if. And 
um, I met with the producer and I pitched an idea and he really liked it. And it was the right place at the right time because they were looking for a more intimate setting. Mm. What it has taught me is the resiliency of people. And the whole idea is that I bring, I have a conversation with one person and they're sharing their experience of going through, and, some, and a lot of times it's not necessarily, overall it is a grief, but we don't come from it from that perspective. They're going through something that they've lived through and they're sharing their story in the sense that somebody out there has gone through it. So we've talked about, you know, someone who has been, was um, raped at 16. We've talked about going through a divorce that was horrific. Um, mental illness as male and growing up with a parent who had mental illness and we just have this one-on-one -on -one conversation and for the whole purpose that uh, my role is that I'm the audience and I ask those questions and they're an everyday people living in Kingston having these life-changing stories. Wow. wow that's a great idea I love that idea you know, because uh, I love hearing stories. I love hearing people's lives, life stories. And it's it's fascinating, you know, whether it's CBC or obviously just on this podcast, you know, I didn't realize actually how much that I would enjoy each and every person's uh, journey and story and loss. And, and you learn so much from it. And especially people from your own community, because, you know, I think it, it makes you, it adds positivity to your life and probably a lot of compassion. Because then you say, oh, rather than having those, you know, frustrating moments driving or at a store, then you're like, oh, these are just people from my community, you know, who have gone through traumas just like me. So I think that's a fascinating idea. What was some of your favorite moments? Some of them was, I, what I found is really fascinating um, is that every time somebody tells a story, there's a thread so far in my life that comes into play. And that made me realize that that's how the audience is experiencing. You might not have grown up with a mom who had mental illness, but maybe you had a parent that was a little bit neglectful or something. So everybody has a thread in it. One of my favorite shows was when um, a guest shared when she was um, raped at 16. And the feedback from it, because she has her own business, she's well known. People didn't know that story of her. And what it did was that those who knew her when they were talking and, you know, in the community would say, oh, that's what happened to you. So as she shared her story, she filled in this gap for people who knew her back in high school, what happened to her, mm. why she kind of disappeared. Wow. Right. And it just, and that was one of the most, you know, because when I first did the show, I think I did about five or six and um, that was really impactful. And then I did another show where um, someone shared with a, a male, and I wanted to have both male and female talking about their stories. And he talked about how, you know, dealing with mental health and growing up in a family um, and having fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and how he felt really that he didn't fit in. But when he learned he was only diagnosed, like I think in his 40s or 50s, that how that sort of when he looks back on his life, it was like, this is who I am. This is how my brain works. So those two stories was was one of the things that impacted me on on, on different levels. And um, each story that we've shared so far, because we're just doing season two, 
there is a, there's always a moment and when the people share and they always get emotional my producer says you know we need to get we need a crying moment right and <laughs> <laughs> it's like we need that crying yeah, moment the so, bit. yeah the juicy the bit <laughs> <laughs> so i'm always excited that when um, people um do that and all of us do this as volunteers it's the the, the producer i mean the producers he's a staff person but everybody the camera myself and the guests and then you get involved with people that in the community because right now I have a local sponsor and they bring the food in for the volunteers so it's a community thing and this was the first year that I went outside of my circle and I, I put on my you know my social media I'm looking for guests and I was thinking I'm not going to get anybody who's going to tell me I couldn't believe the response of people sharing it and people saying oh this would person would be great they have a great story so now I'm outside of my circle and I'm meeting people I would never have met before that's incredible. I can, uh, I, I think, first of all, I think it takes a lot of courage for those people to come out in there and do that. So kudos to them. Um, but I can actually see you have like production meetings before the show. You got like tissue boxes, you got like someone's chopped onions, that's next to the thing. You, you know, you just gotta like, you just squirt lemons into their eyes, like something. You're like, we gotta get this moment, this juicy bit. You're running uh, yeah. out with it. But I think when, it, and it's really intimate, it's just myself and it's pre-recorded. Um, and, you know, I do, I talk to them prior to the show and, you know, and they feel safe because there's certain things people don't want to share about their story because it involves somebody else and they want to protect that privacy. So I'm not being like this investigative reporter and I'm going to surprise them, <laughs> right? I respect, <laughs> so they feel safe and they feel honored and um, even though it's my show, they have a little bit of control and then I'm guiding them through. I think of them as being my guest. I'm inviting you in my show, I'm inviting you into my home. So there's, you know, they do their makeup before and they feel relaxed. Um, we, at that, that's the point where we pick the title of the show and they confirm that this is okay. And, and I find that doing my second season, I really look for people who are comfortable in sharing their story, but not still in their story. So they, you know, they're not just, they're not in that pain. They've lived it and they will reshare it because the whole point is to give inspiration to somebody who is living that story. And um, that's when I got the idea and I got connected with now in the fall, I'm going to be doing a, a, a radio um, show on the survival network. And that will be really talking about grief and, um, what I have found is that people get really lonely at night, um, especially like Friday night when their whole week is done. Um, and I want to reach that audience who we can have these real conversations about grief and what it is, what it's not. And um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that next level of reaching another another type of audience. Oh, that's phenomenal. And look, I, I, I'm... That was, I was just joking. <laughs> I really, they, in order for them to tell their story, they must feel comfortable enough to come in there. And I'm sure you provide an amazing setting for that. Um, and we do I, spray, we, you know, we, 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 we and I tell them this, I said, you know, here, and because I make a, you have to have a little bit of humor and um, each guest I talk to a little bit before they send me their bio, right? So we get to know each other because as I said, I'm coming outside of my circle and I make them laugh. I said, okay. And I, and I tease my producer. I said, you know, we're all looking for this little cry moment. 
And I tell them, and they're like, yeah. And I say, and Josh, I go, I, we're laughing because Josh knows <laughs> I, I call them juicy bits. And yes. I, it's not that I'm looking for crying necessarily. I'm just looking for those <laughs> clips that I know will touch people, that I know that exactly. like someone listens to it again. You know those clips that like that raise the hair on my arm when I'm editing and I'm like, ooh, damn, that was tough. That's tough. That's hard. You know, you the raw and their voice or whatever it is. Those are juicy bits to me. <laughs> yeah, so my producer loves those juicy bits. He's been doing it for like over 20 years. So he, you know, when I'm in it, I'm, in, in, I'm enjoying the experience. Yeah. So it's great. And now it's the second season, I'm sure. You know, when you first started, you learn so much. After you do each show, you learn. And, you know, I've learned a lot. Because I went into this experience totally a novice. All I knew, I wanted to talk to people. And I had to learn the technical part about doing a TV show, like all the, you know, all the, the stuff. And this season, I find I feel more confident in helping to guide my guests with those questions and, and still acting as the audience and sort of like pulling out more of their story because I know that's what the audience wants. And where can people... Can they find the TV show like on the internet anywhere? Like, do you have like back episodes people can watch, or do you need the that local Kojiko station? And yeah, unfortunately, it? it's only available in Kingston, Ontario, um, uh, to to watch. Um, but if you are in the Kingston, Ontario area, you can watch it um, on your. It's called Your TV Kingston, or they can go to my website or on my Facebook page, and you know. I, the information will be there. But when I do my radio show, when that's up, um, that will be available to anyone. So the best way to stay in touch with what I do is just find me on, um, you know, through my website or through my Facebook page. Nice. Yeah. And it'd be cool too, if you, your radio show, if it, if it's also, if you can make it into a podcast too, or if it turns yes. into a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you can just do it whenever you like, you can listen to it whenever you need to, or whenever you're in the car. Yeah. So, I mean, and for the radio show, I, I think that that is definitely a possibility. Um, uh, uh, Claire, to um, Survival Radio Network, they, they've been doing it for a number of years. So definitely that's why I want it so I can reach a bigger audience. They have a viewership of about 2 million people so and all over the world. So I'm excited about that opportunity. Wow. So I, it's the best of both worlds because I really like with the my the tv show it's very local it's very specific it's local tv and it's you know you have to have cable to watch it and you know so it's great but on some aspects those stories aren't shared with other people so i you love need to I get do. a deal with netflix that's what you need you need netflix <laughs> to pick up your show so we can watch yeah. previous seasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe one day in the future right? i'm negotiating you, uh, with them <laughs> do they if if you have uh, those old episodes available, then you can always just plop some of those on the Instagram page, on the old Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I have to negotiate because it's all in the contract with them. Like, yeah. uh, you know, and um, <clears throat> and I think that you know, I I keep saying you've got to put these things on. We got to put these things on. But it's sort of like um, old school, new school kind of yeah, idea. Yeah. Right. Um, but totally. I think eventually that maybe that one day that they will, but I love the experience so much and I love meet, meeting people locally and hearing their stories. Um, that it's, it's really great. Cause I can't believe the amount of people who I meet in the community and they're like, you know, people just stare at you 
and <laughs> they're like, and I know like, you. Yes. <laughs> trying to go grocery yes. shopping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, I think, look, this is an amazing experience for you, especially someone who's kind of new to it because, you know, the learning that you're doing with each episode, you know, you're, that's just a crazy amount of learning, which is just going to make you that much better. What we do is a little bit easier because we look, we're not in front of a TV. You know, we can, we can control the audio. We can stop and start. You know, you got to learn all these different things, like looking into the camera and all this other stuff, <laughs> uh, which is great, which I think that, you know, obviously moving forward into season two, you know, that's going to be that much more better. And then moving forward, you know, just see, you'll be able to see where you can tweak what you can get better at. Yeah. And, you know, I think every experience is... Um is necessary like i think you know doing this doing the tv show you know it's going to make me a better radio host right i won't have to worry about the camera but i do have to carry the conversation right if i guess this gets frozen or you know yeah and then you have you know you have the people who are on the floor and they're like you got like 10 minutes left and you feel like the he, the person is is and that's happened so i've learned to really um, have my questions, have my backup questions, and really even question. Like, I've gone, I've done shows where I didn't pre-screen the guests or pre-interview them, and that was those shows have been. They were still ended up, and I was still proud of them. But now, like in season two, it's really important to know who you're bringing on your show and have a little bit, so you're not like fumbling and and you know pulling stuff up out. Wow. So I wish I could watch it, but I can't. So I just wish <laughs> I you the I, I just wish you the best as you move forward uh, in that. I do have some that I can send by email. Like so I maybe I can email you, you a link or a couple of them, right? You just can't share them. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. Know. So yeah, so yeah, please do. I'll, I'd love to watch them and to see to see your growth too. Because hey, yeah, like we're all learning as we move forward in these different platforms and talking with guests and we're all trying to improve and it's nice to see um, ourselves improve too at the same time. And yeah. so I'm, as, uh, as we wrap, wrap up the show, we have one question that we'd like to ask our guests. And that is if you could have a dream tonight of someone who has died, who would that be? And what would that dream look like? <laughs> um, who would it be? Um, I, I would automatically say my mom, but I'm not, I, it would be probably Maya Angelou. And that would be her reading me um, my favorite, um, I, I Rise. Um, and that's, um, to me, that was one of my f uh, favorite poets. And that got me through a lot of stuff that I always would go back to. Um, so that would be a dream that I would love to have tonight. Maya Angelou um, wrote Phenomenal Woman, uh, an, uh, an African-American uh, writer, artist, Dr. Maya Angelou. Maybe some people um, would know her. She was, I knew her from her, her work, um, from her, her books, and then a lot of people were introduced to her from being on Oprah's show. Right. Um, and she just had this voice in her story. You know, she at first she was she was abused and uh, as a young child and rape, and she didn't speak for a number of years, and then she fell in love with books and just you know read and read and read and read and became this educated woman that her voice was well known, almost like a James Earl Jones voice that you just knew it, right. and the her works when I started to learn it in high school, I was so drawn to it, and you know, and everybody knew it. I love Maya, and I saw her. Speak in Toronto, and I had the cheap seats 
but her words and her energy was so powerful for me as a black woman. It felt like it was like all my ancestors. I don't know. There was something about her that you just felt she was a mother. She was a mentor, an activist. And when she read, I rise and phenomenal woman, in my worst times, I rise has become my prayer. So, you know, if I had that dream tonight, I will be very happy. <laughs> yeah, that, I hope you have that dream. Um, I, rem- <laughs> I remember seeing her once on Oprah, actually. And I just remember she had tremendous poise and obviously word use like she's phenomenal at speaking but the poise and the power because she talked about her traumatic upbringing and like really really tough stuff but uh really really you could tell the compassion and love she had for people around her and her and her community as well yes yes yeah so yeah so she was definitely one of my uh, you know, everybody has people that inspire them outside of their family. And if for her, that was, um, and she was definitely on my bucket list. I always wanted to meet her. And that was the closest thing that I had. It was, uh, you know, being in the same venue, same, you know, live space of hearing her read her works. And that was just such a phenomenal experience for me. It, would this be your first dream ever you'd have of her? Yeah, I've never dreamt her before. <laughs> so that would be lovely. Um, so I've never had a dream of, of her. Um, I've never really had a dream outside of my mom like any other people. And, you know, it's always been like my mom or my dreams have always been around um, people that I know and sense. You know, I've had other dreams of people passing away or will be or, you know, if they've passed away. But it's always been people close to me. Cool. That sounds amazing. I mean, you know, having uh, maybe a tea or lunch with your idol and someone who you respect a lot, I think it'd be great. I think you could bounce back ideas, you know, see, maybe you can, you know, take her some of your writing or, or, you know, shows, take her clips. And she's like, you're like, what's your opinion? But then you're like, really, you don't want her to like, no. No, that sounds awesome. And I really hope you get that dream. And uh, again, Ophelia, thank you for coming on. This has been uh, a really cool conversation. I love talking to people who obviously are uh, in the same kind of field that we're in. But, you know, sharing a real story about your mother's loss and what it meant to you and being honest and real about it uh, in terms of emotions that you've had, you know, even negative ones, but also, you know, helping us understand how you came to terms with that and how you progress forward and and now you know you get a chance to do some of the some of the stuff that kind of like your mom did you know being compassionate helping the community giving back uh, a lot and you do it in your own community which i think is amazing that that's incredible uh could you um shout out your website and your handle so people can reach you um people can get me at getgriefreliefnow.com that's my website. Um, that would be the easiest way. Or my, my name, veophiliaregald.com. Either one that, that will connect with me. Excellent. Uh, that, that's good stuff. Um, just wanted to shout out our stuff so you can uh, get more information on griefdreams.ca. Uh, we added a donation button and there are perks to those who donate. Um, and that's with uh, Patreon. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams and uh, the new one at I don't even know, at Grief Dreams at the Grief Dreams Podcast. At the Grief Dreams Podcast is one account, and the other one is at Grief Dreams. We kind of started the other one just to kind of 
post more audio clips and just get more a little bit more information for you guys out there and uh again i just wanted to say again if you do have a chance you can definitely rate us on itunes if you like the episode if you like to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you you do a lot of editing on that ending <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation